Good morning. Welcome to another episode of the African Football Roundup, a podcast where we recap the happenings of African football over the weekend. This podcast is brought to you by the good folks over at AfricaIsACountry.com, and there you can get some of the best writing there is on social issues across the continent. And so if you do like that, if that tickles your fancy, do head on over there and check out the most recent articles. Today, we're going to be talking about the 2026 FIFA World Cup qualifiers in Africa. Um, For this edition, we have nine groups of six teams, so the entire continent is included in the sole round of qualifying. Uh, The exception, of course, um, is Eritrea that uh, withdrew because they had fears of players defecting. We spoke about that on the last episode of the African Football Roundup, so you can go check that out on YouTube or wherever you get your audio platforms um, if interested. So the winners of each group will go to the Americas and then the four best second place teams will play in a mini tournament for a chance to compete in the Interconfederation playoff and for a chance to qualify the long way. So with that said, uh, let's delve into some of the good that we saw over the weekend, but also some of the bad. The good Egypt have been hammering the Egypt bell for I think the better part of a month now um, and their good form is just keeps being consolidated heading into the African Cup of Nations. They have a good coach, a Portuguese coach, Coach Rui Vitoria, and his record is 13 matches played, 11 wins, one draw, one loss. And they've played some good teams. They've played against Tunisia, Algeria, uh, Belgium uh, as well. They have 31 goals for, six goals against, and they haven't made too much noise. Um, People expect Egypt to be good, but the consistency that they've played with, I think, and more importantly, the coherence, that's a word I keep using a lot, but the coherence of what they're trying to do uh, makes me feel really confident in them ahead of the AFCON. Now, I know they played against Sierra Leone and Djibouti in these two matches this month, Um, but again, the coherence, the motivation when you have a player like Mohamed Salah um, who's never won an AFCON. Uh, I, I really do believe in Egypt. So uh, we'll see how they do prior to the AFCON when they play friendly matches. But so far, so good. Um, there is one problem, and it seems to be discipline, though. Um, that's the only real trouble in paradise in uh, in the land of the pharaohs. You had three players, Tarak Hamid, who was a fixture in the side over the last five years in defensive midfield, Imam Ashur, who is um, one of the local players that moved on to Europe uh, over the last 18 months and who I thought could bring about something different in midfield because a lot of Egypt's midfield is quite bland. Players like Hamdi Fethi, Tarak Hamid, Mohamed Al-Nani, they do the same thing. They recycle possession, they're combative, they break up play. But Imam Ashwad brought something else to midfield. Um, but him, Tarak Hamid, and Hussein Shahat were all excluded from the group from the Egyptian national team. We don't know if it's a permanent exclusion or if it's a temporary thing. Apparently what happened was that they weren't happy that they didn't get playing time against Djibouti. After the match, Rivitoria asked all of his substitutes to do like a cool down session, just jogging, you know, just to maintain fitness and form. And the players refused to do it. Apparently some cited injuries, others just refused. And as a result, they've all been excluded from the Egyptian national team. Now, I don't know if this is, again, a permanent measure or a temporary measure, but that's something to keep an eye on is will other members of this team clash with the coach? But if not, I do believe in, in what he's trying to do. Uh, 
Finally, before we move on from Egypt, can we just take uh, an appreciation pause? And we're going to do more than one of these today. Uh, an appreciation pause for Mohamed Salah. Mohamed Salah becomes the leading scorer of the Egyptian national team in World Cup qualifiers with 15 goals. He has 55 goals in 95 appearances. But just to compare that with you know some of the other African greats, Samuel Eto'o has 56 goals in 118 matches. I know, I know we're not comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. You know, I feel like it's a lot easier. Our players are more efficient these days, I would say. Um, the goal scoring records are more inflated. But still, I think we're in a moment in time where we see players like Sadio Mane, Mohamed Salah, and Riyad Mahrez. We know they're good players. We know they're greats, all-time greats, but... I don't think we give them their just due yet. And maybe we all, we always do that to players that haven't retired yet. But I just wanted to give that moment of appreciation to Mohamed Salah because that's very, very impressive. For him to do what he's done with Egypt is, is great. So, chapeau. In addition to Egypt, we have Senegal. Senegal, Iraq. Um, no surprises for Senegal. They battered South Sudan 4-0. It could have been much more. Um, they had a few goals. I think Habib Diallo was on the end of both of them. Um, that were disallowed, but that were probably valid. Uh, Aliou Cisse was complaining in the post-match press conference about the match officials. I think Aliou Cisse and Jamal Belmadi, uh, the coach of Senegal and the coach of Algeria, <laughs> they have the same MO when it comes to match officials. They're always complaining about match officials. And it's funny because I believe they're born in the same year and they lived in the exact same Parisian suburb as well. So maybe that's their modus operandi over there. Um, but Senegal made things look easy. Um, one note is that they have a new young midfield and they look really good. So two of their three midfielders were under the age of 21. You have Pap Matarsar from Tottenham Hotspur, who I think everybody's acknowledging has progressed enormously over the last year or so, especially under Ange Postacoglu. Um, him and Yves Bissouma have looked really good for Tottenham. And then beside him, you had Lamine Kamara, who scored a goal. Lamine Kamara, for those that don't know, you can check on his YouTube channel. He has a lot of videos, uh, a lot of match compilations that I put together. He, for me, he's Africa's Young Player of the Year last year. Um, he was the best player at the Chan. He was the best player at the Under-20 tournament. Um, and he's only 18 years old. He's another product of that generation, Foots Academy, like Sadio Mane, like so many others. Um, and... Those two together, to not be 21 years of age yet, and to play the way that they're playing, it's a scary proposition. And it's almost unfair how Senegal continue to churn out talent like this time and time and time again. Um, but they managed to do it. And I think it's going to be a long period of time before Senegal are not considered a top five African team. Finally, let's do our second appreciation pause. <laughs> this one for Sadio Mane. Um, Sadio Mane played in his, well, according to some, 100th cap uh, against South Sudan. Some on the internet said, no, actually, it was his 99th match because if you recall, there was a match between Senegal and I believe it was South Africa that was actually annulled because the referee was found to have been manipulating the match, match fixing. Um, but anyways, the Senegalese Federation considered it his 100th match. He has 40 goals in 100 matches. Uh, again, the similar point I was making to Mohamed Salah. Um, he's Senegal's leading scorer. 
and he's second in caps, only to Idrissa Gay, who has 106 caps. Again, think about all the great players that Senegal have had in the past. Players like Al Haji Diouf, you know, players like Jules Bukande, um, just like, you know, Henri Camara, so, so many, Al Yusise. And this is the man, you know, Sadio Mane is the man. And, and where I think Mane is different than Salah is that Mane, I think, is he's won that AFCON, you know, and that greatness has therefore been achieved, um, whereas Salah is really still chasing that. And I think once he captures it, then it'll crystallize something. Not to say that he isn't the best Egyptian player of all time, because I think he is, but that'll crystallize something for him. The third team that had a really great international break is South Africa. South Africa is back. Bafana is back. I, I, I'm proclaiming it here and now. So South Africa have three points. So this could be considered a premature statement. Uh, but I think if you watch them play against Benin, where they won 2-1, I think they're back. You have... That DNA, that Mamalodi Sundowns DNA, you know, I had six Sundown stars in the lineup. Um, Grant Kakana didn't play, uh, Tapelo Maseko didn't play, but you still had players like Mudao, Modiba, Makwena, Ronwen Williams, um, Tembazwane. Uh, and you could see that they're used to playing with one another, you know, um, and, and they're comfortable. And it seems like they've gained the confidence from playing in competitions like the Champions League or the African Football League. And that's spilling over into the national team. So in addition to the Sundowns players, you throw in Percy Tao, the, in my opinion, you know, uh, player of the year on the continent for Al-Ahli. And then, although you didn't have Lyle Foster and Lebo Motiba as strikers, you know, and we hope Lyle Foster is, is okay and that he makes, you know, a full recovery, when you add those two into the mix as well, I mean, for me, like, South Africa are peaking at the right time. And I'm not saying that they're... Egypt, I'm not saying that they're the Ivory Coast, I'm not saying that they're Senegal or Algeria or Morocco, but I do think we're going to be seeing them, you know, consistently qualifying to AFCON tournaments, we're going to be seeing them making it to the knockout stages, and maybe here, in this group, maybe uh, qualifying to FIFA World Cup, because the jury's still out on Bruce, but the way that they're playing, and the way that Nigeria is dropping points in this group... I think it's it could be time that we might see the boys back at the World Cup for the first time uh, in a very long time. And speaking of Nigeria, let's <laughs> let's talk about the negative. Um, Nigeria, you know, they they say that the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Nigeria is doing the same thing over and over, but I don't even think they're expecting different results. I think they're just doing it for the banter now. <laughs> I mean, prior to the previous Africa Cup of Nations, um, they had Gernot Rohr in charge, and he had been in charge for a good amount of time. And I think Nigeria were playing decent football, but there was always the impression that Gernot Rohr, there was a ceiling, you know, and that, he, again, they weren't at the level of a Senegal or Morocco. And that ceiling was there, and he was limited. I mean, he was getting the results that they needed to get, but he wasn't making the team more than a sum of its parts. And so you get to prior to the AFCON, and what do Nigeria do? They fire Gernot Rohr. Again, if you agree with that decision or disagree with it, I mean, I think you could find arguments for both ways. But they fire him right prior to the con. You got prior to the AFCON, apologies. They bring in Augustin Egwavon as a caretaker, and they make it to the quarterfinals and they're eliminated. 
around that time, they also hired Jose Pacero. But then there were like rumors of, was he actually hired? Was he not hired? Is his contract ratified? Is he coming prior to the AFCON, after the AFCON? It's a big mess. Um, and then a few months in, I mean, they're not really getting great results. Uh, losing matches that they're not supposed to be losing. Uh, drawing matches that they're not supposed to be drawing. And the only wins really are wins that, you know, wins against teams like Sao Tome, Principe, Sierra Leone. Teams that they should be beating anyways. And now, Pesero, I think, is public enemy number one in Nigeria. Everybody wants him gone. But the question is, when uh, and how? So his contract runs up until the AFCON, but do you fire him prior to the AFCON and do what? Bring in another caretaker? Do the exact same thing you did two, two years ago? Are they just writing off this AFCON and saying, you know what, let's just bring in a new coach, have him you know, instill his philosophy, that way we can be ready when World Cup qualifiers come back because... Nigeria only have two points after two matches. They, they drew with Lesotho at home and then with Zimbabwe away from home. And, and the frustrating thing about Pesero is that it's not that Nigeria don't have the talent. I mean, if you look again, everybody talks about their strikers. We could talk about them forever, but I'm going to harp on it again. I mean, it's so rare for a national team to have that amount of quality in one position, but they have it. But then I think maybe Pesero is trying to do too much in shoehorning all that attacking talent onto the pitch. He's playing a 4-2-4, but players obviously aren't quite used to playing that system. I mean, not to mention that some of the midfielders, like Alex Iwobi, is sometimes playing as the deepest midfielder. Um, and it seems to get like congested in the attacking third of the pitch. It seems to be lacking some creativity, a spark. And I think maybe if he just used a more conventional formation, I don't know if he's been using a 4-2-4 all of his life, but maybe if you use the more conventional formation, got players like Onyedika uh, onto the pitch, uh, make the midfield a little more balanced, you know, start actual wingers like Moses Simon uh, on the wing, I think he would find that the results would improve. But, I mean, when you start stringing together poor results, then you the team loses faith in you, the fans lose faith in you, the country loses faith in you. And so I really do think that Jose Pissero's days are, are numbered, but uh, that's definitely one of the bad from this international break. And another team in trouble, um, their Jolof partners, Ghana. <laughs> um, Ghana brought in Chris Hewton, you know, after the World Cup. He was a technical director prior to that, um, and they brought him in as a head coach. <clears throat> and Ghana uh, won at the very last minute against Madagascar. They were playing at home at Babayara Stadium in Kumasi. And for those that don't know, um, for me, Kumasi is like one of the lands of football in Africa, you know, the, the kind of juice that you can get in that stadium and, and the kind of passion and momentum that you can get at that stadium is like no other. In fact, Ghana have not lost a match in Babayara Stadium since 2000. Um, but Hutton goes, he's playing against Madagascar, and he lines up this side. And again, I know hindsight is 2020, but it seemed quite cautious. You know, when you line up a Baba Idrisu and Salis Abdel Samed in defensive midfield, for me, that means that you're more interested in not conceding and retaining that structure than you are uh, scoring, in that sense. And it seemed like Ghana lacked creativity. They're relying on their individual efforts of players like Mohamed Kudus. Um, and they scored in the 90th minute, you know, a great cross by Gideon Mensah. 
pinpoint onto the head of Inyaki Williams, who scores in the, I think it was the 96th minute, yeah? And the, the stadium explodes. And on one hand, that could be a good sign, you know? When you get a last-minute goal like that, think about all the positive energy that's in the locker room after, uh, you know, all that relief and, and that, you know, the joy and the celebration. But <laughs> I'm sorry, guy names. But I don't think more good news is on its way. The way that they were playing, it seemed stale and it seemed toothless. And they have a very, very tough FIFA World Cup qualifying group. Ghana are going to Comoros today. I mean, by the time this podcast is out, um, they're going to Moroni. Um, and I had the, the, the opportunity to watch Comoros play against Central African Republic, who were in very good form in African uh, Cup of Nations qualifying. Central African Republic were just, you know, they just missed out on qualifying by the skin of their teeth. They have good players like Jeffrey Kondogbia. And Comoros just drilled them. I mean, they won 4-2, but Comoros scored all six goals. The only way Central African Republic scored was two very lucky own goals. Um, and they have a coach at their helm, Yunus Zerduk. He's like a real nerd. Uh, he's like, in terms of academies, he was part of the JMG Football Academy uh, structures. And he's like, has great ideas about how to develop technique, how to develop tactics. He's very underrated. Not a lot of Africans know him. But like I said, he's kind of like this nerd and he has a great staff and he knows the right people and the kind of football that they were playing in Comoros. And not only the kind of football, but going to play in Comoros, that, that, that travel, the weather, the stadium, you know, kind of looks like it's in, you know, in the jungle and there's like a, a mountain in the background. And, you know, and, and the fans, the fans are so energetic. They love this team so much because of the recent success they've had. You know, teams like Cameroon and Morocco really struggled when they traveled to Comoros. So for me, I'm not a betting man, but if I were a betting man, I would put a lot of money on Ghana not winning in Comoros today. Um, and on top of that very difficult trip to Comoros, they have Mali in their group, Ghana do. So to bring it back to the Black Stars, I do think that Chris Hughton in Ghana, this is going to be my bold prediction, but I think they will not be in the Americas for the World Cup. But we'll see. I mean, I, I, I hope that's not the case because I do love Ghana and their national team and the history of their national team. But um, that FIFA World Cup qualifying group is very difficult. And when I see the trajectory of Comoros and Mali and I see the trajectory of Ghana, I have my doubts. So anyways, that's it. That's the my, my overall observations and thoughts from um, FIFA World Cup qualifying. I'm not going to be commenting on... Uh, today's matches that's Monday November 20th um, simply because yeah the, the episode is coming out today uh, Friday I'm going to be traveling I'm going to be in Tunisia but we're still going to be uh, producing a podcast we're going back to the African 5 Side podcast we're going to learn about African football history again so um, I'm handing out an invitation to you guys please come back on Friday come listen to the story of one of Africa's most famous heads of state and how he used football uh, for his own ends so Thanks again for listening. A uh, reminder once again to check out africasacountry.com if you haven't yet. And uh, yeah, that's it.